0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. Each week, myself and my co-host, Dr. Scott Barber, bring you the information that doctors talk about in doctor's lounges all across the country. We try to inform you about the issues in healthcare so that you will be able to make decisions for yourself and your family regarding your healthcare and uh, be informed about what is happening in the world. Um, The show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician-led healthcare think tank in the country. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation has has always stood for the doctor-patient relationship and for healthcare freedom. That's what we are working towards every day and fighting for, and we need your support. And you can help us to help you by... Going to the website www.d4pcfoundation.org and support the foundation and the work that we're doing, Uh, the uh, work never stops. It's uh, a non-stop issue. Um, Today, in fact, you'll hear President Trump announce uh, his new health care plan, much of which... Has been influenced by the people in the Docs for Patient Care Foundation and the work that we are doing. So um, look for that on uh, on uh, line and and read about it, and then go to our website and support us. We uh, uh, can't continue to do that work and this show without your help. So please. Um, uh, do that right now. Just go to the website, click, and you can donate $5 or $500, but that's something that uh, we need your help with. So um, you know, every single day is something new. The world seems to change on a dime, and everything is so different today than the last time that I did this show two weeks ago. And uh, if they say in Atlanta, where I live, that if you don't like the weather, just wait around an hour and it will change. And I think the same can be said about the political climate in this country. If you uh, don't like what's going on, sleep on it, and the next day something new will happen. And what I'm really referring to is what now we're confronting with the debate over the Supreme Court, which is something that we will get to in a in a moment. In a, this show, as I said in my lead-in, discusses the issues that we talk about in doctor's lounges all over the country. And when the Supreme Court issue came up, it was something that we... Uh, um, we're, we're talking about in doctor's lounges and had an opportunity to do that on Monday and talk with a few of my colleagues in, uh, in the lounge in uh, the hospital where I work, the Children's Hospital in Atlanta. And um, it's, it's amazing that people who are on the left are so monolithic in the way that they think, and the opinions that they have are formulated by the talking points that they are subjected to in the outlets that they listen to. And they they talk about um, there, there are are buzzwords, there are catchphrases, and uh, trigger words that they love to throw out. The uh, this this uh, um, Supreme Court justice debate gives Trump the opportunity to put in place somebody. Who will support the white nationalist view? And I looked at these people, and I just could not believe what they were, what what nonsense they were they were saying. And I and I asked them if they believed that I was a white nationalist, and they really couldn't <coughs> they couldn't um, you know answer that question because they know that I'm not, and yet. If you're a conservative, if you differ from, excuse me, I'm <coughs> not COVID, <coughs> dry throat. Um, if you differ with the um, positions of the left, and you deviate from their woke positions and their talking points that that um, they all are are saying at the same time. Then you you can't you can't have a thought that is that is contrary to what they're saying and be anything but a white nationalist. And it''s, it's really it's really in you know, a pathetic actually. I really feel sorry for these people because they they, um, they don't like Trump. That's why they they believe this. And they they believe that um, there's there's black and white, and there's only two ways of looking at things. And I don't mean that in a racial um, uh, connotation. I mean that there's no shades of gray anymore. Shades of gray was you know the the middle. That was the 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 way that our country um, uh, operated for. Uh, and forty years, and, um, and now, um, we are on teams. And, uh, if you're not on my team, then you're on the other team, and you have to believe what I believe, and you can't have a, a differing thought, otherwise, you can't be on my team. <coughs> this is very dangerous, very, very, um, it, it's, it, uh, the the end point of this is uh, is uh, really quite quite uh, um, uh, disturbing because uh, the, uh, the there does not seem to be a place in the middle and um, I was uh, reading some of the writings of Douglas Murray who is a of uh, a a political commentator from from Great Britain who has written a number of books. And he loves America. He's a big fan of America. And he's a big fan of the American system. And he believes that right now we are in the same position that we were in in 1859, There are two competing views of America. There's traditional America, and then there is leftists, communists, socialists, Marxists. You can call them whatever you want, but those people believe that America is a bad place, that we were founded illegitimately, that nothing is good about America, and if you take that position that nothing is good about America, then there can never be compromise, and that's his point. And so we are now, unfortunately, locked in a ideological war, which um, Douglas Murray believes. Um, can have no end other than a civil war and he really hopes that that won't happen nobody hopes that will happen but if you are a student of history and again you um, have heard the the uh, the famous quote that those who fail to study history are doomed to repeat it and we are unfortunately, um, at the same crossroads that we were at in 1859. Um, and he sees no, no end in sight. And the Supreme Court nominee, you know, the, right now, last time we did a show, the two big issues were about COVID and about, um, about disorder in the streets, about riots, about um, burning, looting, um, uh, defunding the police, and um, that has—those are still major issues, um, sadly—but <clears throat> they've been pushed aside by the um, the shiny object of the day, which is the Supreme Court nominee. And I'd just like to take a moment to um, to acknowledge um, uh, uh, Justice Ginsburg, who was a uh, a remarkable woman she um, She should be applauded for standing up for her views. I disagreed with a a large number of her decisions and and the way that she viewed the world, but she um, was a a person of tremendous conviction. Um, She was a a trailblazer. She um, did things um, to help uh, large numbers of people in this country, um, uh, particularly women, standing up for women's rights. And so I, I, um, I feel like, You can be honest and still oppose the things that she stood for, but acknowledge that she was a great person, a great American. She gave she gave a lot to this country and 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 supported the things that she she believed in. So I I wish to uh, send uh, condolences to her family and uh, and may she rest in peace. Um. So w- with her passing, and people have, have knocked her on the left because she, they, they claim that she should have stepped down when Obama was president and he had a Senate that was Democrat that they could have gotten through uh, an appointee to take her place, um, and they may be right. But nonetheless, I think that she wa- was hoping that Hillary Clinton would be president, that Hillary Clinton would s- would nominate um, uh, one or maybe two justices, and she would be the grand matriarch of the left wing of the Supreme Court. And uh, sadly, she miscalculated, and uh, now we have um, a situation which the left is claiming is um, a constitutional crisis. And the only constitutional crisis that we have would be to not appoint somebody to take her place and leave the Supreme Court with an even number of justices where if there is a contested election after... November 3rd, or November 4th, or November 14th, or whenever they declare a winner based on the nonsense that's happening around the country with um, late ballots by mail, this is almost certainly going to go to the Supreme Court, and they are going to adjudicate who is going to be the president. And, um, and God help us if there's an even number of justices, and it's a four-four tie. Um, this will send the country into a true constitutional crisis, and um, we cannot have that. <clears throat> so, so there needs to be an odd number of justices, just like the um, the uh, the. Constant. well i 'm not sure I actually i, I don 't know the answer to this and i don 't want to say something out of school but i 'm not sure that that the that the number of justices on the Supreme Court is um, is uh, outlined in the Constitution but just just the judicial branch let me let me take a moment and and talk about the Supreme Court and I want to talk today about how important the Supreme Court is for health care because if you think for a moment that that this is not a, an essential uh, issue as far as your health care is concerned, then you have not been paying attention to what has been going on in this country for the past 10 years. First of all, right now, there are eight justices who are on the Supreme Court, and Historically, throughout um, the uh, modern history, or throughout the history of this country, there, to my knowledge, and I could be corrected, there have been nine justices since it's the Supreme Court's inception. And um, people have tried; th- they've threatened to increase the number of judges on the Supreme Court if they didn't get their way legislatively or judicially. The no- most notable of those was Franklin Roosevelt. When he was trying to get through his socialist agenda during the New Deal, um, he got pushback from Congress and, um, and he threatened to pack the Supreme Court with activist progressive judges who will uphold executive orders that he was um, creating um, to... Uh, to uh, go ahead and uh, um, fulfill his vision for the New Deal. So the uh, Congress caved. They uh, agreed to pass the legislation that he supported and he um, dropped his threat to pack the Supreme Court. But that threat has always existed and interestingly only on the part of Democrats, only on the part of the left. The right never The the Republicans never threaten to do something that would be so blatantly unconstitutional or unprecedented setting. Now, people are claiming that having a nominee go through at this time is against precedent. And again, they're wrong because um, the the, uh, president is required to nominate somebody. Obama did that. He did that with Merrick Garland. And Merrick Garland didn't get through because the Senate was controlled by Mitch McConnell and the Republicans. And that is the prerogative of the party in power that they decide what nominees they're going to bring to the floor and which ones they're not. And Mitch McConnell decided not to, and that's the prerogative of the, the party in charge and that's why elections have consequences. So so nothing has been done that was irregular or unconstitutional. Obama did it and Trump is going to do it. He's going to put through a nominee. Now Mitch McConnell and the Republicans are still in charge. The difference between the Obama administration and Merrick Garland and President Trump is that the same party is in charge of the White House and the Senate. So this time this will go to a vote. Let's talk about the Supreme Court. You know, it's very interesting. When you look at the Supreme Court, you talk to people about the Supreme Court, you know, the Jimmy Kimmel's and the uh, and the uh, others who do the man in the street kind of uh, uh, interviews asking questions about the Supreme Court. First of all, young people know nothing about the Supreme Court. Now, all of a sudden, they're woke about the Supreme Court because their their media um, uh, leaders are telling them what to do, what to think, what to say, but they still know nothing about the Supreme Court. They don't know, for example, how many justices are on the Supreme Court, and if you ask a a young person to name Supreme Court justices other than um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg who no longer is with us Um, it's, uh, it's really questionable whether or not young people could name one Supreme Court justice let alone more now the Supreme Court has eight justices on it currently. And let me let me just um, g- run through who those people are. The, the senior person on the Supreme Court is Clarence Thomas, who's 72 years old. He's been on the bench in the Supreme Court for 28 years, and he was nominated by George Bush one. Then there's Stephen Breyer, who is 82, um, uh Uh, years old. He's been on the bench for 26 years, and Bill Clinton nominated him. Then there's John Roberts from Bush 2, Sam Alito from Bush 2, Sonia Sotomayor, and Elena Kagan from Obama, and then Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh from Trump. So if you look, there are three um, justices who were appointed by Democrats. Stephen Breyer, Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan—they all vote pretty much the same. Um, uh, the the conservative judges don't. They're they've been unpredictable. They've actually looked at the merits of cases and they've not voted ideologically. And much to the chagrin of conservatives, especially with the Chief Justice John Roberts, who. Um, Many conservatives blame for allowing Obamacare to continue to stand, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But of the justices who are um, sitting on the Supreme Court right now, there are uh, there's one who is um, in his 80s. That's Stephen Breyer, and it's looking like he may wind up not. Uh, be, uh, finishing uh, or, or he may um, be need to be replaced at some point in the presidency of the next president um, the, Clarence Thomas is 72 um, he shows no signs of slowing down but he's the next oldest um, so so um there's one justice that needs to be replaced and possibly another one with the next president. So so there is um an opportunity right here to make sure that the Supreme Court is filled with justices who honor the constitution, who interpret it the way that our founders wanted to interpret it and not change the interpretation based on what is happening in society today. The left likes to uh, claim that the Constitution is a living, breathing document that is subject to modification based on the, the way that society um, is, uh, is progressing. And we know how that's working in our country right now with tearing down statues and canceling um, people who believe differently than the woke left does. So so I think that it's really important that this branch of government, the third important branch of government, the highest court in the land, is filled with people who are not going to try to alter the United States, because right now we are, as I said earlier, locked in a in a uh, uh, a, a civil war of ideology, and we need to have the the Supreme Court um, uh, honor what our country has been, which is the greatest country in the history of the world, and to. Um, and to make sure that it does not get dragged down the uh, the rabbit hole that the left wants to drag it down. Healthcare is very much on the agenda for the Supreme Court, and I want to um, talk about this because the justice that fills. Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat is going to be an important uh, vote in terms of what happens to your health care in the future. And let me, um, uh, I'm going to finish up with that. Um, uh, But I'm going to talk about how the Supreme Court has, has impacted your health care up until now and and it's it there have been Supreme Court decisions for for decades that have had some health care implications but none more obvious none more important than those that occurred after the passage of Obamacare now if if I can, Make everybody um, uh, put on your thinking caps and remember back. I know it's a long ways. It seems like a long ways ago. But June of 2012, um, this was two years after the passage of Obamacare, there was um, a lawsuit that made it all the way to the Supreme Court that centered on the individual mandate. Now, if you recall, people were stating that the government had absolutely no right to mandate that people have insurance. This was viewed as commerce. It was stated that the government could not make you buy something that you did not want to buy. It's as if the government said that you had to buy a Buick or you had to buy a, a MacBook. This was this was the, the basis for the lawsuit against the federal government. So there was a lot there were lawsuits that made it all the way to the Supreme Court that centered on the individual mandate. And in a five to four decision, with the deciding vote being cast by the, the, um, the, uh, by John Roberts, the chief justice appointed by a Republican, he claimed that Obamacare, the ACA, was constitutional. The mandate is allowed to stand because it was viewed to be a tax. Not a penalty, but a tax. And the the Congress, the, the House, has the purview of being able to approve, vote on, and pass legislation that has to do with taxation. So, consequently, the penalty for not having Obamacare that was that was levied, that was the mandate, was viewed to be a tax, and consequently, the mandate was was uh, constitutional, and Obamacare was constitutional, and it was allowed to stand. And so that had tremendous implications from that point going forward, which we are still arguing about today. And that all came from the Supreme Court and interpretations of what is constitutional and what is not. They were also asked the Supreme Court at that time to weigh in on the expansion of Medicaid, if you remember. What the Obama administration wanted to do was to withhold funding, federal funding to states that refused to expand Medicaid. And and um uh States that were run by Republicans, um, ref- many of them refused to do that. And the court ruled 7-2 to two in favor of the states that refused to expand Medicaid that it could not be coerced by the federal government to expand their Medicaid programs. And if a state chose not to expand Medicaid, that the federal government could not withdraw Medicaid funding to that state. But the court also decided that if a state chose to expand the the Medicaid coverage, that they must accept all of the federal regulations attached to that expansion. Now um that too has had a profound effect on what is happening to healthcare in this country supreme court unfortunately because we have divide a, a, such a divisive um uh society right now where there's no middle ground many of these decisions are going to be decided by a supreme court and so this is this is absolutely critical, and I'm going to share with you a couple of other decisions that the Supreme Court weighed in on that, that loom heavily over health care right now and f- going forward in the future, and then we'll talk about some of the upcoming things that are going to be uh, coming down the pike with health care decisions and why the Supreme Court the the makeup of the Supreme Court is so important. So stay with us. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal as we talk about the topics that doctors talk about amongst themselves, such as Medicare, Obamacare, alternative forms of care, and health information technology. Join us every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We're back in the doctor's lounge, and we are talking today about the impact of the Supreme Court on health care in America, what has happened, the impact it's already had, and the potential impact going forward, and why it's so important that we get a ninth judge on the Supreme Court and somebody who is actually interpreting the law as spelled out by the Constitution and not changing things and interpreting it in a leftist um, fashion and uh, a an woke society as we're seeing. And I wanted to – I had an um, a open question in the first segment about the makeup of the Supreme Court um, and our crack research team headed by David Moxley came up with the answer, which is that the Constitution does not specify the number of judges, that only that House of Representatives can change that number. But if you think for a moment that, that all bets are off and the left would not completely change all of the institutions in this country and and throw everything out the window to get their way, then you have not been paying attention to what's going on in this country. And they very well might go ahead and uh, with a Republican House, Republican Senate, and a Republican, I'm sorry, a Democratic House, a Democratic Senate and a Democratic White House change the number of justices on the Supreme Court so that they can get through their leftist agenda, and that's the danger of of uh, what's happening right now with the extreme left completely taking over the Democratic Party. And if um, and the people who say that that it's not happening are are. Just their their ostriches. Their heads are buried in the sand because that's exactly what's happening. Um, the other big case that the Supreme Court, or cases that the Supreme Court had an impact in within the last uh, eight years, was the Burwell versus Hobby Lobby case just to um, explain to you what that means what that was all about in 2014 a case made it all the way to the Supreme Court that um, that uh, centered on contraceptives now the um, the, uh, the the uh, Affordable Care Act uh, there were provisions in there that um, excluded um Businesses, um, institutions, privately held institutions, um, religious institutions, from violating their um, their religious beliefs and doing things that were um, against those beliefs, and, and in the case of Hobby Lobby, which was, is a privately held corporation, um, they. Um, provide health care to their employees but they did not want to um, uh, have contraceptives um, and abortions uh, as part of the um, of what their of the health care provisions that they gave to their employees it was against their um, the religious beliefs and the government came out against them. They they uh, they threatened them. They they filed lawsuit against them, and um, Hobby Lobby uh, um, fought the the government, and they took it all the way to the Supreme Court and won, and they upheld the um, the right of a private corporation to um, that that provides health care to be able to. Um, decide whether or not some of the provisions violated their, consti- their their religious beliefs which are supported by the Constitution and the Supreme Court um, voted in their favor they did the same with the Little Sisters of the Poor which is an order a Catholic order um, that uh, gave uh, health care that, that provided health care um, to uh, to a large segment of uh, p- parishioners in, in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, and the states um, said that they could not uh, they they could not follow their religious beliefs, and they were they were obligated to give s- certain contraceptives. Most most importantly, they objected to the morning after pill, and um, and and the Supreme Court. Um, uh, they they've voted in favor of the little sisters of the poor. So the point is that the supreme these health care decisions that that have um, been made came from um, uh, statutes that were part of Obamacare that um, that violated constitutional rights of segments of our. Of our society, and um, the state tried to um, overturn constitutional rights, constitutional um, uh, you know things that the Constitution grants to every single citizen, and and uh, and fight them on this, and that's why strict. Um, Constru- constructionists of the Constitution are necessary on the Supreme Court to to protect the constitutional rights of every American, and not to violate those rights because society is changing and because um, the the, uh, the 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 views of of a few who have the loudest voices on the left are. Um, are claiming that um, the, the, the views of the few um, are more important than the rights of, of everyone. So here we are now getting ready to have another contentious fight. Um, it's going to be interesting what happens on Saturday of this week when President Trump fulfills his... Um, promise to nominate a justice to fill um, Justice Ginsburg's seat, which incidentally did not belong to her. And so the, the, um, the left is saying ridiculous things that on her deathbed, she said that her greatest wish would be to have the next president pick a Supreme Court justice. Um, she has absolutely no no vote on that one. No, no right to say that. And the left has no standing in terms of uh, honoring that deathbed wish. She she can't make that. Um, this is not a seat that belongs to her. This is a seat that belongs to the people, and this is the the law of the land based in the Constitution that the president is an obligation to vote or to, to, um, to uh, nominate a person to take over a seat of a, um, of a, a departed Supreme Court uh, justice. And then it's up to the Senate to decide how quickly to get them to get the vote to the House. and And it's not unprecedented to get votes to the House quickly. In the case of Ruth Bader Ginsburg... She was, her, her nominee from the time of her nomination till she was voted happened in under 40 days. The same is true for Sandra Day O'Connor, under 40 days. So it is not unprecedented to get a nominee through quickly. There's a gigantic upcoming Supreme Court case that's going to be held or heard um, right after the election, and it is California versus Texas, and um, what this case is, it, it is the case to decide if the Affordable Care Act should remain in place. It, 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 all, it was um, a suit that was brought by Texas, 19 other states, and two individuals in early 2018. The claim was that in 2017, President Trump had, uh, there was a, a bill that passed, it was the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, and it rendered the Affordable Care Act's individual mandate unconstitutional because the mandate could no longer be justified as a tax after that act, reduced the mandate's penalty to zero. So, um, in in 2012, when the Supreme Court said that the mandate was a tax, they claimed that it was um, the the purview of the Congress to tax, and so the mandate being a tax meant that the law had standing without a, a penalty there is no tax. And if there is no tax, then the mandate is unconstitutional. You cannot force someone to purchase something to engage in commerce against their will. And so if there's no penalty, then the mandate has no standing and the entire bill needs to be thrown out. Now, the state's Argued that the mandate was essential for the rest of the Affordable Care Act. And so the entire Affordable Care Act was therefore invalid if the mandate was unconstitutional. The other side claimed that there is severability. So what is severability? It means that if a part of the law is struck down, Does it mean that the entire law gets struck down, or can you separate that portion from the law and still allow the rest of the law to stand? And so California and other states with Democratic attorney generals are on the other side saying that the mandate can be invalidated, but the law should still stand that there is severability. And so there is this looming fight that um, has made it all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court will decide if, number one, the mandate is unconstitutional because it is no longer a tax, and number two, if there is severability. And so... I can tell you how three justices are going to vote. On either side, Um, we can we can predict that that justices Breyer, Kagan, and Sotomayor are going to say that it is unconstitutional that the mandate cannot be enforced because it's not a tax, but there is severability, and so the law continues to stand. Um, Justices Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Alito will likely, and and Thomas likely will vote um, that this should be struck down and there is no severability and the Affordable Care Act should be thrown out. John Roberts is the wild card, just like he was before. And if he is going to be consistent with his previous decisions, he is going to vote with the left-leaning judges, and it will be a four-to-four tie. This is why it is so imperative to get a conservative-thinking justice on the Supreme Court and make this a five-to-four decision against allowing Obamacare to stand. Because Obamacare, people are trying to claim that President Trump's trying to take away their health care by fighting Obamacare, and that's that's you know more lies from the left. It's just not true, and um, and there are other ways to to uh, um, deliver better health care than the um, the poorly. Uh, constructed Obamacare plan, which incidentally has resulted in premiums now rising to as much as twenty-six dollars to $28,000 a year, not including deductibles, not including copays, And so people are, are being aced out of health care plans around the country if they can uh, um, even afford them. So so this is the the uh the challenge about getting the um getting a ninth supreme court justice on the bench and getting somebody who is going to um look at the the constitutionality of this law and um which which uh is in my opinion uh it's it is uh it is clear cut that uh, that Obamacare is was unconstitutional from from the o- outset and needs to go There are other potential Supreme Court cases that um, that having the right justice on the bench is going to have an impact on um, I'm not sure that they're going to necessarily be heard by the Supreme Court but they are on their way towards the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court decides what cases they're going to take up and which ones they are not. So these are cases that have all made it through lower courts and in the federal system and may um, be um, getting to the Supreme Court at some point. Most notable is Stewart versus Azar. Um, which is a group of low-income residents in Kentucky, challenged the Trump administration's move to allow Kentucky to impose work requirements on enrollees in the state Medicaid program. So if the state of Kentucky is saying that we will give you Medicaid, but you have to show that you have... Um, attempted to find work or are working Um, these individuals um, who are suing Kentucky say no there's no reason why we have to work to get Medicaid why do we have to work and so this is important because the federal government has not historically allowed states to make a work to make work a condition for receiving Medicaid but Starting with Kentucky, the Trump administration has approved other states' work requirements for receiving Medicaid benefits. Now, is that a bad thing? Is it bad to to require people to either work or show attempts to find work rather than being wards of the state and sponging off taxpayers? Uh, who are um, responsible for their health care? Of course it's not. And this is an important case because the Supreme Court will decide whether or not um, states have the right to impose work requirements because they're the ones who are on the hook for the majority or, or a good portion, not the majority, but a good portion of the cost of their Medicaid programs. Another case that's making it up uh, towards the Supreme Court is New York versus Acosta. Now, what this is are 12 Democratic attorney generals who are challenging the Trump administration regulation that makes it easier for individuals and small employers to band together to buy the association health plans. The association health plans are awesome. The association health plans are ways that individuals and businesses can band together to create critical mass and go to insurance companies and get better breaks on their insurance what is wrong with that that's that's actually a great thing this is an a, another one of the innovations to give individuals in this country better health care, better opportunities to find their own health care requirements. It limits what the state, what the the government is doing, and this is always a good thing, to limit what the government is doing. Um, What the claim by these attorney generals is, is that these plans violate the quote minimum requirements of Obamacare which we know were an overreach and nonsense, making the insurance plans far more expensive than they need to be by making people purchase uh, services as part of their insurance that they would never need or never use. So this is a absolutely critical case that the Supreme Court needs to weigh in on, and they need to weigh in on the right way if it makes it to the Supreme Court. Here's another one, and this is one of several cases. This is the West Alabama Women's Center versus Miller. And what this case is about is abortion. Um, Alabama passed a law that bars providers from doing um, dilatation and extraction in the second trimester. And this is an attempt to try to um, stop a practice that is um, a midterm abortion. Um, And um, it was challenged by the abortion providers in the state of Alabama. so, this is, this is one of many cases that are going to be heard, um, in lower federal courts that are going to make it up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is going to pick an abortion case. I don't know which one it will be, whether it's going to be this one. There are other abortion cases that are requiring, uh, providers to have hospital admitting privileges. Um, if they do abortions, and that's being challenged by several states' uh, abortion providers, um, I think in Louisiana and in Texas. Um, What that means is that if you um, provide abortion uh, services to individuals, that if something goes terribly wrong, that you have to be able to... uh, Bring that patient to a hospital where you have admitting privileges so that you can continue to take care of that patient. And what these abortion facilities are saying is that they're treating it like McDonald's where you drive through – Get your abortion, and you know, oh, if you have food poisoning, well, go to the emergency room and get taken care of and this is This is you know um, a, a major problem as a medical provider i I would agree that if you 're doing a procedure and something goes wrong, it's your responsibility, and you need to make sure that you're taking care of the complication that you created, and that's, that's something that uh, is a, uh, a, just a, a basic tenant of medicine and of healthcare, and I think it's malpractice. Otherwise, and so this is going to be a case that will possibly be the one that's heard by the Supreme Court. One of these states, and then there are the other abortion cases, of course, where there is um, a uh, there there is uh, uh, there are a abortion anti-abortion um, uh, advocates that are. Um that in in states where there is uh, r- republican um uh legislatures that they w- want women to be able to see the ultrasound or hear the fetal heartbeat or see the three d ultrasound of the baby before the ultra- before the abortion is is done um and there are abortion providers who feel that that is too much of a psychological trauma for the women and that should not happen. And so there's a contention on on both sides and that case is more of a long shot getting to the Supreme Court. I think the one about admitting privileges um, has a far greater chance of being heard by the Supreme Court. Finally, um, a case that's more of a long shot (laughs) that probably won't get to the Supreme Court but is out there is Columbus versus Trump. What that case is about is the city of Columbus, Columbus, Ohio, and a group of other cities that have um, filed suit against the president, um, suing him, alleging that he is deliberately undermining the Affordable Care Act thereby ignoring his constitutional responsibility to enforce the law and subjecting Americans to higher health care costs. That case is a very, very big long shot. Um, but these are the cases that that unfortunately are being brought against the president, by his administra- against his administration, um, against um, people who are challenging um, the push to the left for more government control over health care. So I've, I've spent this hour trying to um, explain the importance of having, number one, a, uh, an odd number of justices on the Supreme Court. We cannot leave these decisions in a 4-4 limbo. And number two, making sure that we have the proper um, makeup of the Supreme Court. And people who are alleging that having conservatives on the Supreme Court is dangerous for this country are lying to Americans. The danger is having leftist judges who are changing America who believe that America is a bad country just like the woke left is saying on on MSNBC and CNN every single day saying basically lying to this country and 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 saying things that are untrue and showing clips that are doctored clips so that they can rev up ill-informed people in this country into a frenzy so that they believe that the president is a criminal and that people who follow him or who believe in the Constitution are white nationalists, those people are the danger to America. And having the Supreme Court as the guardrail against these people is so critical that the importance cannot be overstated. So, so this is why healthcare and the Supreme Court. This is where the healthcare and the Supreme Court intersect. And uh, stay tuned for what's going to happen over the next few weeks. I think it's going to be a wild ride. So, thanks for being with us today in the doctor's lounge. This is what we're talking about in doctor's lounges. And uh, join us next week with Doctor Scott.